That would be why I switched it on. <laughs> I trust many people are watching from home and different states and everything as well, actually, welcoming Queensland, that other country. <laughs> and, um, and also uh, many people meeting in groups all over the place. So God bless you in homes and pray you have a great fellowship and great time together in worship as well. And uh, yeah, here we are, halfway through February. Yeah. Is tomorrow halfway through February? It is, 14th. Halfway through February already. Uh, and it's not as if we can say we're nearly finished summer because I don't think we ever had summer. It's gone. Uh, unless you went away on a holiday somewhere to the coast. Yeah. But um, oh, it's great. It's great. I love this time of year. It's a freshness to the year. It feels fresh. And I really love that. Uh, last week we had our Vision Sunday and I shared with you what I believe the Lord is saying for our church. Strong Nation Church here in Penrith and in Mountains. Oh, by the way, Mountains got their venue back this week. And they are meeting right now in that place, having a party, I think. I think Judah's gonna have a party up there and it's fantastic. But we also meet in Cambodia, primarily on Fridays. Um, and um, I really felt the Lord speak a word over us and I wanted to share it. Basically it is, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I, I spoke about David, King David, when he was just a boy. He'd been anointed king, but he hadn't been made king yet. And um, he was just a boy. He found himself at the battle of Goliath in the, in the Valley of Elah. And um, how he was not even meant to fight this fight, but there was this moment where God tagged him and said, you're it. I need your son to rise in leadership. And I believe was really signified by those five words. Is there not a cause which David yelled out when someone questioned him, when he entertained the thought of seeing deliverance for God's people, when he entertained the thought of thinking, I can bring an answer to this or someone's got to, someone's got to stand up. Isn't there a cause? That changed his whole world. It changed everything. Well, today I wanna go bounce off that. I'm gonna give us a bit of a, a biblical history lesson. Is everyone ready for it? Because yeah. it is fascinating. Yeah. The way God has weaved himself since David, which is about a thousand BC, or BCE if we use these days apparently, a thousand years before Christ came. And uh, from then on, it's like God triggered something in David, which affects us today. It still affects us today. In fact, I think it was the moment where he really put the agenda of his church in place is right there with those five words, is there not a cause? Strong Nation, I think God has actually asked us to take the lead, to rise up in leadership period of Israel. And he, remember one day he looked outside the palace and he saw the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's presence, God's promise. Everything that they were was around that, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was in a tent and David looked out the window and said, it is not right that it be in a tent. We need to build a house. So he sought the Lord and I wanna build you a house, God. And God said, no, 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 you're a man of war. You've got blood on your hands, but your son, but your son. Anyway, I wanna pick that up. 2 Samuel chapter seven. Everybody remember 2 cha Samuel chapter seven. What is it? This is a powerful, powerful verse for us. And um, it is so significant, and I'm gonna be referring back to it. 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord will make you a house. Okay, we'll stop there. He's gonna make David a house. We call it the house of David. 
In fact, archaeologists have just found some proof of David existing, where some Egyptian king um, had, was glad that he'd dented or taken out the, the house of David or put him in something many years after David's life, they'd put them in captivity of some sort. The house of David, it's proof that he existed. And um, yeah, this house of David, it's a lineage of kings that came after him. So he said, I'm going to establish you a house, right? Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, the temple. You got to understand, for the Jews, the temple was everything once it was built. Solomon started this and he built a glorious temple. We can read about that. And um, it says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Then verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom, that's his lineage, right? Shall be made sure before me, uh, forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, David does hand the throne over to Solomon. King Solomon, known for his wisdom and known for his girlfriends and wives. What is it? 300 wives, 700 girlfriends. I don't know how God's okay with that. Maybe he wasn't. And um, the tragedy of Solomon is this. Yes, he built a wonderful temple. And yes, he had wisdom beyond all people and wrote some incredible stuff in the Bible. But he also followed the gods of his wives and girlfriends. And there's no sign of him ever repenting. He just went that way and took the kingdom that way. So he didn't do good. He passes on and King Rehoboam comes on the scene. Solomon's son, and he was a bad king. What happened was he got advisors come around him and said, look, Solomon wasn't that great for Israel. And they got around him and said, mate, we need to be tender and we need to be really good at this. He says, nah. He said, um, my father was a finger, I'll be the fist. And he was harsh on them. Leadership, leader, he's gotta be the leader, right? He didn't lead like David, he led like Rehoboam. Well, what that resulted in was a tragedy for Israel that split the kingdom into two. His kingship, his leadership. A lot of them migrated north or already north and they called themselves the new Israel. And those who remained in Jerusalem in the south called themselves Judah because they're primary, primarily the tribe of Judah and half the tribe of Benjamin. They were gathered around there. That's where we get the word Jews from. From they were Judah in that place. Loving the history? Yeah, yeah I know you are, Sam. Judah was considered David's lineage, his house, because David was from the tribe of Judah, the 12 tribes, right? Anyway, fast forward 400 years, around about 580 BC, Jerusalem was seized upon by Babylon. You know, the, the hanging gardens of Babylon? They believe that's probably where the Garden of Eden was, around Babylon there, and um, modern-day Iraq. They seized Jerusalem... They destroyed the gates, tore down the city and demolished the temple and took the Jews into captivity in Babylon. You can read about that in the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, Daniel lived his life in Babylon as a God follower. 
So does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Shadrach and Benny. They spent time in, it's a great book to read, they're in captivity. Jeremiah and Ezekiel's prophecies are all about that era. That's when they came through about, you know, that the Lord has plans for you to prosper, not to harm you, but give you good, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's towards the Jews who are captive. I have plans for you, you're in captivity right now. You're basically slaves. You can't do what you want to do, but I have plans for you, says the Lord, which is a great, when you put that in context, wow. Even though everything seems dark and oppressed, he still has plans to bless you and to lift you up. It's just amazing. But 70 years later, after captivity, they found a gracious king. I think it was King Darius. He's the one who put Daniel in the lion's den. He actually realised, I think he must have come to God and realised it's not right that these people be in Babylon or in Assyria where they were at this time. It's time they went home. And he ordered a man called Ezra. King, and the book of Ezra is about this. He was a priest. They also call him Ezra the scribe. And he used to write things down a lot. And therefore we have the book of Ezra. He said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and teach God's people the Torah or the law, the, the first five books that we read. Teach it to them because these people need it. Another, there's a whole sermon on that. They need this as their foundation. Naomi talked about the Jewish Greco foundations in which our nation's built. That's what he wanted implanted in them. Exactly that. And that should always be taught to everyone. It is the basis of everything, especially the Western culture. Um, the book of Ezra is about this period when they're coming back into Jerusalem. You think about it. You know, their temple was destroyed. Everything that was was the temple. That's where God's presence was. That's where they would go to you know, find forgiveness of sin. They'd bring their sacrifices to the temple. That's where they represented everything to the temple. That's where they'd worship. They didn't worship anywhere else but there, at the temple. But it was gone now. Their city, Jerusalem, was gone. The gates, the, the, the walls had been torn down. But Darius said, get back there. They all came back. And if you read Ezra, Nehemiah's amazing book to read as well of that period. Nehemiah built, rebuilt the walls and a great message in that for Christian life about rebuilding in your life. But, um, you know, you see, what it really was about was David's lineage, that thing that, what was it, 2 Samuel? 2 Samuel chapter 7? Verse 11 says, your, your lineage will never finish. Your lineage will continue forever. This is part of that. He's bringing his lineage back. He's going to reestablish in Jerusalem they're going to rebuild the city, the walls. They're going to rebuild it all. Why? Because God made a promise that David's lineage would not cease. That's why. Through the temple, through the people, his, his, his people, his, his, what we know as church, would be in that, in that stream there somewhere. And um, so the temple had to be rebuilt. It couldn't just, you know, just go back to a bunch of rubble. It had to be rebuilt. Then came along a guy called Zerubbabel. That is the greatest name in the whole Bible. Other than Jesus, of course. It's always Jesus. Zerubbabel or Zerubbabel or Zerubbabel. There's, I'm probably going to say it about eight or nine different times. Zerubbabel was an interesting character. He, there's not much written about him in the Bible, but there's enough. He was assigned the role of rebuilding the temple. 
What's significant about him was his grandfather was the second last king of Judah. And he was called the governor of Judah when he came along. It's because Darius the king was still overseeing them, the governor, right? So really, I think the people probably saw him more as the king because he held something about him. He was the one who was assigned this and he was from David's line. David's line lineage had continued. But there was something in him, you see. We're gonna look at Haggai chapter two. Could it be that God continued in Zerubbabel what he started in the leadership of David? Let's look at it. Haggai chapter two is all about a prophecy towards Zerubbabel, okay? And it starts with, you know, a vision that he got and he wants to explain and it's really cool. Hint, I'm gonna preach on that next week. But then it comes down to where God says, I'm gonna shake the nations. I'm gonna shake all the, uh, the kingdoms. I'm gonna really shake them. And I need something to happen. And he says this in verse 23 of Haggai 2. On that day, when I shake, when I shake everything, right? Declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, just my servant. God calls a few people my servant, but no one more than David. In fact, Zerubbabel, that wouldn't, have been, that wouldn't have gone past him. He would have understood something. When the prophet says, I've got a word for you, Haggai comes to him and says, I've got a word for you. God's calling you my servant. He would have, whoa, whoa. Because it always, always in that time referred to David. He didn't refer to any other king, my servant. It was always David. We think of my servant as, you know, just... No, 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 not these guys. My servant, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Richard Burrell. <laughs> My servant, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, he was not only my servant, the lineage of David, but God had also made him his signet ring. That is huge. In that day, a signet ring, you probably equate it to maybe a really high class, very stacked up credit card. That, 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 that ring, that signet ring, has the authority of the owner on it, no matter who's wearing it, the owner's authority is owned by it. It could change edicts and laws, that, that ring of a king. It could, uh, it, could, it could raise people up, it could bring people down, that ring. It could determine so much. It was all about authority. So he says here, you're my servant. In other words, he would have read it as, you are in the line of David. The leadership that God began with David, you've got it, son. You're my servant. Not only that, I'm giving you the authority to do it. Wow. He's rebuilding the temple. Pretty cool. Remember 2 Samuel chapter 7? Think about it. The Lord will make you a house, David's line. He shall build a house for my name, the temple, and will be established um, and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And, the signet, and the, that's the signet ring. Establish his throne, the authority. That's the signet ring. Then I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 14. I will be to him a father. Significant. Remember this verse. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will dis discipline him with a rod of man and with the stripes of the son of man. My servant, my servant. 
Well, that's all good, Rick. That's nice history. Awesome. Good on Zerubbabel. Legend. Name my, you know, my fifth son after him, maybe. Who knows? I think it's hugely significant. Here we have a man who would have been raised in Persia somewhere, away from, he's a Jew, raised in captivity. God plucks him out and says, hey, my servant, you're my signet ring. Let's do this. I'm gonna build something huge. Is that the one, is he the one that 2 Samuel chapter seven is talking about? Many believe it was Solomon. He built the initial temple. But Zerubbabel comes along and he builds this second temple. And this is the temple that was around in Jesus' day. Had a few extensions along the way. Is, is God talking about him? Or is there more to it? I think there's more to it. Remembering David's line, there is no end to it. It doesn't finish. And I think this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a continuum. It's something that keeps going and going and going. If that's the case, what does that mean for us? This is what God spoke to me out of this. We'll just go, just stay with me. Stay with me, okay, smile. So I know you're not asleep. 2 Corinthians chapter six. Here we have Paul the apostle, who was a Pharisee. He knew his Old Testament. He would have actually been required to memorize the whole five first books of the Bible. In fact, he was called himself, when he was not bragging, he was actually pulling himself down, but it sounds like bragging. He called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? The lawyer of lawyers. He was good at what he did. He understood it. And he has this church planted in Corinth and um, they simply weren't behaving themselves. They weren't doing what the church of Jesus Christ should do. And I thank God for the Corinth church because it taught us a whole bunch of doctrine and what not to do. <laughs> Let's not make the same mistakes they made. You know, they were doing some pretty dodgy stuff. And he was correcting them and he's basically saying, hey, start behaving right. You're God's representative. I need, you're not gonna flourish. You know, they were idolatry, they had idols in the church, they were fighting all the time. Immorality was playing a big part. And he's saying, look, 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 you need to change this. And then he comes down, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Oh, there's the temple, right? For we are the temple of the living God. You see, Zerubbabel's, his temple got destroyed in 70 AD. Nero had a field day, had a demolition party and got rid of it. But the more significant thing about the temple is this. When Jesus died on the cross, that Friday, Good Friday's coming. It's gonna be a big day for us, we're gonna celebrate. He died and one of the most significant things to happen was there's a curtain in the temple which the Holy of Holies was behind and only God or the purest of person could go in there, otherwise they'd be struck dead. It's where God dwelt, his presence was in there. That was the great attraction to the temple. But the day that Jesus died, that curtain was ripped in two. And what that signified was the temple is no longer relevant, that building. It is no longer the presence of God because the presence of God got out. And Jesus made a way for us all to go beyond that curtain into his presence. And Paul stating here, he knew that. He understood that more than anyone else. And he said, for you or we 
are the temple of the living God. Remember, he's talking to a church. He's talking to one of us. Strong nation, Corinth. And he's saying, don't you realize you're mucking around? You're not living the way you should. Don't you realize? What fellowship does the presence of God in a temple have to do with playing with idols? You can't mix the two. You can't live that way. Jesus has already purchased the salvation. He's, he'll, he'll forgive every time he's forgiven tomorrow's sins. That's not, that's not what he's talking about, just living better. He's saying, church, don't you realize you're the temple now? The very thing that Zerubbabel built, you're now it. You now carry it. Wow. But that's not the greatest thing about this. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus changed everything. I'm going to walk amongst them. Right? Jesus changed everything. Thank you for Jesus. Verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Interesting, go out from them. In other words, just come out from them and be separate. Do you know the word church, if you really nut it all down, the word church actually means the ones who are called out. Do you know what it means? Called out. It's funny how some modern church, we're trying to get people into church all the time. It's contrary to what its, actually name, its name is. The church is called out. Get out there. Make a stand, lead, be a leader in marketplace, in school, in cul-de-sacs, in sporting teams. Be the leader. You're the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians, he actually says to the individuals, not the church, individuals, don't you know that individually you're the temple of God? So as individuals, but also corporately, we're the temple. The called out ones take the lead. Verse 18 now, this is where it really gets cool. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Where'd we find that? 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 14. Paul is quoting 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 14 here. He had the opinion that the line of David, that promise that was over David, continued past Solomon, past Rehoboam, past all the kings of Judah, past Zerubbabel, continued and continued and continued to the church. That's what he believes, Paul. And you know what I love? He really messes with Jewish theologians. It's not only they will be my sons, they will be my sons and daughters. It's hugely significant. You've got to understand the meaning of that. This was written after a little thing we call the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came and changed again everything. This is when the church was launched. He poured his spirit upon all people, all flesh, the old word says. All servants and masters, men and women, Jews and those who aren't Jews. Everyone's in now. Everyone's accepted. It doesn't matter. He wants them to be his temple. Why? Because the lineage must continue. And just like Solomon, would you lead? Yeah, well, he didn't do too well. Zerubbabel, oh my goodness, they should preach him more. He led, he got up and he said, we're gonna rebuild something, people. And let me tell you, next week, I'm gonna talk more about it. But he had a lot of opposition to face. 
It was difficult. God said there, just before, I'm, I'm shaking the kingdoms. It was a terrible time. Sound familiar? I've got to tell you, in our time right now, God is shaking things. He's shaking things. I, my world, of course, I talk to a few pastors and chat about, especially now, how, how are you doing, buddy? How's things? It's very difficult out there for church life. God is shaking it. But his temple, David's lineage, that promise remains. It can't be shaken. I think it's the role of the church. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, Paul adds, and a daughter. When he commits iniquity, when he sins, I'll correct it. It's okay. But I'll forgive you, he says. Grace, grace. Talk about that next week. You see, because of Jesus, we are now my servants. And like I said before, we look at that and think, yeah, of course we're servants of God. No, 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 no. It is huge. When God calls you my servant, it's massive. In fact, you see the disciples did it. They knew what it meant. They got beaten up for preaching the gospel. They licked their wounds and go off to a prayer meeting and said, ah, we were his servant today. Because they knew what it meant. Jesus himself said, hey, if you want to be great in my kingdom, learn to be a servant. That doesn't mean just, you know, you know, just wash everyone's car and just, you know, it's nice to do those things. And I say, we should do those things, that's great. But no, 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 to be a servant of God is much more than just serving. You carry something. You carry something. I want to suggest that you carry the leadership of God in you. See, church, we're going to redefine leadership to way our Western late 20th, early 21st centuries think. We have a really wrong view of what leadership is all about in the Western world, especially in church life. We've been taught some stuff which isn't quite right. We're going to redefine it and the Holy Spirit's going to show us. This my servant is huge and that's who we are. Jesus made it possible. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit or the temple of God and we are called out to rebuild his temple again and again. What does that mean in this world? There's people who aren't, don't experience his presence. There's people who don't realise God loves them and has done all that's required to wipe away their sin and shame. He's not trying to get behaviour modification into them. He's dealt with all that. He just wants to love them. And through that love, their lives just get become amazing. Not through being a better person. That's not how Christianity works. So if the line of David has continued, the lineage, this, this amazing leadership, I'd call it the rebuilding of the temple, really, that's when we reach out and show people what it's all about. So I think the 21st century version of Zerubbabel is someone in their marketplace displaying what Christ is like. Showing love of God, taking the opportunity to serve, to lead. What's that look like? Jesus made a great example. He said, if anyone asks you to carry their backpack for a mile, which a Roman soldier was by law allowed to do to any young Jewish man. Here, carry my backpack for, for a mile. Wasn't allowed to go over a mile. I thought that was unjust. He said, if anyone asks you to do that, carry it for a second mile. That's leadership. Transfer that into your workplace right now. Boss wants you to do something? Okay, I'll just do a little bit more. Someone needs a bit of a hand? We give them even more. 
Someone needs advice, we give them the best advice. We even research it up if we have to so they can get some good advice. That's taking the lead. We're gonna see it rise up in our families. Parents, this is the most important part of leadership is the role that you have in being my servant to your family. As you take the lead, it's, it's, you're the temple. And we wanna see those young people turn into the temple as they grow more and more to receive more of the presence of God. That's what it's about. That's why parenting is so important. So important. When people worship God, well, they feel like they need to. They know who to come to because we took the lead. You know, just last week I was talking to someone. I think I might have mentioned this last week. Last week before, I talked to someone and he was saying he's got these atheist friends who are just downright atheists. Refuse to believe, refuse to believe. Can't be real. Evolution, evolution, you know. Anyway, he said they sat me down the other day and they've now confessed. And he said, about two or three people have done this. He said, I don't believe in your God, but there must be someone who is a greater power. Wow. What I think God is doing is tweaking something in their spirits, making them hungry. He's beginning to shake the kingdoms. I need my temple built. Because if those people did not know who to turn to, how would they ever find him? Romans 10. How will they ever know unless someone goes to tell them? How will they ever go unless they are sent? Church, you're sent. And I feel that's what God's leadership, that's what he's talking about where you take the lead. Will we go out and show how much people, people who are hungering this spiritual element, will we show them what a spiritual life is about? Will we show them what it's like to walk in this beautiful forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ? Or do we just be average Joe and average Jill and just live our good life, you know? No, it's time to rise up, church. God is shaking the kingdoms. It's time for us to take the lead and realise who we are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry him with us. Not only that... We don't just have his signet ring. We are his signet ring. Remember Haggai? And you will be my signet ring. What's a signet ring? Very significant. I talked about it before, authority. It made me think about the prodigal son. Stuffed up big time. Talk about getting into sin. He did it really well. Give me my inheritance. I need to, I need to pay for all my sin. Gave his inheritance, he left home. Grieved his father, who was a God man. Jesus told this story. Went and spent it on wine, women and loose living, gambling. Found himself broke from nothing. Sitting in a pigsty. Think about it, he's a Jewish boy and he's feeding pigs. Sitting in a pigsty, it's bottom of bottom, right? He's trashed his life. The servants at home, they eat better than I do here. I know, well, I'll go to my father, ask him, can I be one of his servants? At least I'll get a decent meal there. He goes home practicing his speech. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. I want to be your servant. I want to be your servant. Da, da, da. Father sees him, runs to him, wraps his arms around this pig slop drenched boy, wraps his arms, a Jewish man, pig slop, the worst that there is puts his arms around and kisses him on the neck. Dad, 
I want to be your servant. You look at, you read it up. Luke, Luke 15. He interrupts and says, no! <laughs> I've got hundreds of servants who just do things for me. I want you to be my son. You're my son. Covered in pig slop. He says, let's get a robe, put it over and let's cover that. Jesus' blood covers all the pig slop. All of it. You don't have to scrub it off, Christian. He's not here to scrub the skin. He just covers it with the blood of Jesus Christ and it dissolves it. Right? Shoes, put shoes on his feet. In other words, I've got a calling for you, son. You've got things to do. Rise up and lead. That's what they mean. But he also says, and bring my ring. Put my ring on his hand. I give him all authority. I was praying about it. God, what would be a really good way, the significant way, talking about this signet ring that you said that we don't have, but we are. All of a sudden, I thought about the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. That's where we get the authority. We don't get the authority by being smart. I'm proof of that. We don't get authority because we're so good looking. Again, I'm proof of that. We get the authority simply because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That he is with us. His authority, his power. He is God who came out of heaven and said, I'm not going to just dwell around you. I'm going to dwell within you. And I think a lot of us Christians forget this. I was listening to a great podcast. It's called The Naked Bible Podcast. And it, doesn't, it sounds bad, but it's not. It's about these theologians. And I actually really admire what they talk about. And they're talking about how Paul related to the Old Testament. And um, one of them guys, he said, I'm an evangelical. And one thing I'm realising about the evangelical church, we're a Pentecostal church, very similar. He said, what one thing we've forgotten is about the supernatural. We need to realise that we're supernatural beings. And we need to draw on that more. And I think in the Western church, we've moved away from the supernatural. And I think we need to, as part of this whole thing about rising up, we need to understand we serve a supernatural God and he supernaturally filled us with him, making us his supernatural signet ring. And that supernatural authority and supernatural power is on our lives. And it's not an authority where we boss it over. It's an authority where we serve because we are his servants. Understand? We stand and begin to take the lead because we have his authority. You know, you can speak to things in the spiritual realm. You have the authority to do it and declare truth. Things aren't going to work. You can speak to it. You can rise up in prayer. You can begin to prophesy. I remember once we used to, as youth, we used to go around schools on Friday nights after youth and we'd used to walk around schools just prophesying over them. We'd get to see schools open up. I've spent plenty of hours just prophesying over a school here in South Windsor because some issues had happened and I thought, wow, what do we do here? God said, speak it, Rick. And we're seeing miracles. Absolute in favour. Why? Because we're God's servant. We're his signet ring and we have the spiritual authority not to tell them what to do. We tell the principality and powers they have nothing to do with it. We wrestle with them and there is a fight right now. Yep, there is a spiritual evil side. If you're in the Star Wars, yes, there is the dark side of the force. But we've got God. Every demon trembles when they realise who we've got. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's the authority we have. 
We're called to lead. And church, it's time we did. Rise up. You know, growing up, we sort of got taught that to lead was to do something on Sunday at church. <laughs> or maybe look after some people. That's, that's, that's all valid, I suppose. But that's not the leadership I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about today's your day off. Tomorrow we begin to lead. Right through to Saturday, we lead. We lead in every opportunity. We ask God, what do you want me to do today in this place? What do you want me to do in that school? What do you want me to do in my workplace? What do you want me to do in my cul-de-sac? What do you want me to do in my football team? What do you want me to do, God? And then we rise up and we have the boldness and the faith to say, I'm gonna do it. He's called us to take the lead. And if God has called us to, wow, is there not a cause? I wanna pray for you. Can we just have maybe have a bit of music up here? That'd be great, thanks team. We'll finish up shortly. Maybe you're at home right now. I wanna bring a bit of a challenge to you. What is God gonna do with you tomorrow? Where's he gonna guide you? What divine opportunities is he gonna give you? Divine appointments. You see, when we rise up as leaders, we realize that he makes appointments for us. And every appointment could be one that he opened up, a doorway, and I've got an agreement with him. If he opens the door, I walk through it. I'm not gonna try and push down a door. The doors I push open usually don't end too well. But when he opens up a door, I'm walking through it. Sometimes I'm scared out of my witless to walk through it, but that's okay. I'll still walk through it, knowing, knowing that I'm his signet ring. I'm his servant. And I am the temple of God. I'm his church. The called out ones. Come out from among them and be separate. Church, that's us. How about you? At home, here. How about you? What's God want to do with you? You've received salvation. If not, if you don't know God, He wants to know you. Well, He does know you. He wants you to experience how much He loves you. He loves you so much that He would send His own Son to die on the cross for your sin and your shame so it doesn't have to hinder you anymore. And if you were just to ask Him to forgive you and for Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Saviour, Saviour, saved from sin, Lord, you control my life now, God, you do. Church doesn't, God does. You surrender to Him. You do that, well, welcome to the club. You're part of his church. You're one of the called out ones now. In fact, I'd love to pray for you. If you would say, Rick, that's me. I wanna give my heart to Jesus Christ. Well, I'm gonna say a prayer for you, whether you be home or in the room, on a riverbank somewhere maybe. All you need to do is with faith receive. That's all you need to do, it's faith, knowing. Know that you know that you know. I believe, I believe, I believe. That's faith, right? I say a prayer. And I'm gonna just leave a little pause between each sentence or phrase. And you can repeat it in your heart if you want to. I'm just showing you what sort of prayer you can pray to God because maybe you haven't ever prayed before. Is that cool? So let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving me. I don't feel it, but I choose to believe it today. 
Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short, I've done wrong. But I also hear that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And he can change my life. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin and my shame? Would you wash me clean? Would you come into my life and be my Lord and my Saviour? And I will follow you. Lord, will you show me your love? I want to feel it. And I want to walk a journey knowing that you are with me always. I welcome you into my life, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you prayed that prayer? Whether you be through the online or in the room, I'm just gonna ask one thing of you. Would you tell someone who is a believer that you've done that? Why? Because we wanna walk with you or help you walk that journey. You didn't sign up to become a member of a church. That's not what that's about. Basically, you signed up to become a member of God's worldwide church. Believers who love Him and wanna walk with Him. That's all it is, right? So can you just tell someone that you actually prayed that prayer? And they'll probably be really excited. You'll probably see them try to hold a big smile back and they might even go, because they know what it means. Just let them know. Is that cool? Everyone else, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that God shows you some appointments, some divine happenings which just come your way. And I'm gonna pray for you that you would understand that you're His servant, you're His signet ring, you're His temple. Pray that that will be over you. Father, I love your church. It's amazing. She's amazing. Now, Father, I ask you right now, would you ignite your passion within them? Holy Spirit, Supernaturally, will you plant seeds and pour water upon them to grow, Lord God, about this leading in their communities, leading in their workplaces, leading in their environments? Would you give them wisdom to see what you want them to do? And Lord, I pray for divine appointments this week that you would give them an opportunity. And Lord, we know that as we do this, change happens. Lord God, Maybe it's the butterfly effect. Little change here, but big change over there. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that everyone would have the faith to believe that you've asked them to lead. Holy Spirit, we need you. And even now, supernaturally, Lord, would you just impart something into every person who hears my voice? A faith to know that you've called them into this leadership. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand? Let's sing this song, Dave. Let's, yeah, this song. And I wanna, what I'd like everyone to do is, you may never have worshipped God before in your life. That's okay. Just close your eyes and just say, God, I'm going to pray this song to get to know you more. Is that cool? Come on, let's do it.